And I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Well, we uh, are in Geneva today. Um, We are witnessing uh, the first meeting between uh, Biden and uh, Putin. But the uh, talk of the town really is about how the press doesn't have access to Joe Biden. Uh, In the NATO meeting, for example... They were um, meeting up with uh, Erdogan and Erdogan's press pool and their media had access to all the photography work, uh, posted it all out on social media for the world to see. And Peter Ducey was talking about the fact that he had never been called. He won't be called today, I'm sure. And he's, you know, sort of a conservative. I guess he's a conservative that is in a uh, Washington, uh, he's a White House uh, press correspondent uh, for um, Fox News. And he's Steve Ducey's son. He's conservative. And do you think he'll be called? He hasn't been called yet. Joe Biden's hand-selecting names. And I would I would like to think that if he's hand-selecting names, then the the uh, questions themselves have already been pre-selected or submitted. And, you know, the thing about it is, too, when you're in the press pool like that and you sit around and you have coffee, you might have some drinks uh, at night and you're out with some of the people from the White House and you're a liberal journalist, which pretty much is just about every journalist in Washington, D.C. And you're out there and you say, you ask these questions, you get the, you get some guidance, you get shaped, gaslit, whatever it is that you want to do. You're in your 20s. You're maybe a little naive, very approachable, manipulative, and you pretty much read the tea leaves and say, hey, if you want this access, you'll get rewarded. Sort of like a uh, 
a Pavlov's dog foaming at the mouth, getting his food. You know, they always say, don't beat an animal to do the trick. That's what got Ringland Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus in trouble. You know, cruelty to animals to get them to perform a stunt. What they do in Washington is they actually take money out of the middle class taxpayer's pocket and they give it to whoever it is that they need to buy off. And there's an endless amount of it, of the money. Just look at how we throw it around here in Europe, uh, out there in Europe. I mean, in G, in the G7. They're all patting Joe Biden on the back and say, hey, Joe, let's go to the bathroom. Hey, Joe, let's go and have a talk over here. And you get these academics that have never really run a business in their life, that don't have any kind of... Uh, concept of what it's like to run a business or hold a job where if you do the least little thing out of whack, you might get fired. No, they got these cushy government jobs. They get the red carpet treatment. They learn a few languages and they call themselves a diplomat. I mean, it's absurd, but it's the way it is. We see these people all the time here in Washington. And, you know, they're privileged people. They're liberals. And they sit around and chit-chat with certain people in power and they get things. Just like a baby crying gets a pacifier. Just like uh, a dog that does a new trick gets a bone. It's no different than that with the White House press secretaries. They groom these people, condition them like Pavlovian dogs to say, okay, what kind of things do you think you, what, what's, what's your biggest concern? And see if I can address it. Jen Psaki would say something like, and she would know what, what's on that reporter's mind. So what kind of questions do you think you might have for the president? I'll see if I can answer them. Um, and then say, we'll put you on a list uh, to be called upon. And you'll get your name out there like, you know, uh, James uh, James uh, Anton or a- Aiken uh, once was called. I mean, uh, the guy that used to be a thorn in the side of Donald Trump and literally take the mic out of an assistant's hand and be rude to the president. That would never be allowed in, in today's world. Um Steve Ducey's always been polite, and he asks great questions, but not not unfair questions. I mean, you could ask all day long about all these different contracts. Uh, like, for example, Hunter Biden is not much of an artist. I mean, the guy is on Pornhub, for crying out loud. The guy has naked photos all over the world. For everyone to see, sleeping with all kinds of hookers. That's Hunter Biden with crack pipes in his mouth, passed out. Has a track record a mile long of getting pulled over with coke in his car. And stoned out of his mind and thrown out of the military. Yet somehow he gets a book deal. Gets millions for that because everybody knows that people in power write these books. And there are other people in power that buy the books whether they want them or not. And it's a form of pay-to-play. It's just a way to pay off uh, 
people in power. And so lately, uh, we're reading about this uh, information about Hunter Biden having 500, getting paid $500,000 for his art. Apparently, he's a great artist. Hunter Biden does a little art and sells it for 500 grand. Writes a book and gets a huge advance. That's not your average Joe. That's not that's not how it works in any place but Washington DC. And you gotta ask the question. I mean, what what is getting done here? But we are at war. I wrote in uh, the podcast description yesterday the top title of the show was We're at War. And unfortunately, we're at war with the the, the uh, armed forces uh, that we actually paid for. If anyone was betrayed out of this relationship with the government, it was the people. We, the people, were betrayed. We were absolutely betrayed. And it's not like, you know, where Greenpeace of yesterday would try to block some fishermen to save the whale or try to uh, block the lumberjack from, you know, hurting the spotted owl species. Spotted owl species. No, it was more than that. It was much more than that. Today, it's all become militarized. And we're going to talk a lot about this FBI insurrection into the Capitol a lot of people call it January 6th. A lot of people call it J6. Certainly, the one thing I will not call it is an insurrection. What I would call it is a false flag attack by the FBI. How do you like me now? Hey, remember when uh, we went back to Las Vegas, that Las Vegas shooting, where there was all this weird stuff going on about the shooter? And the police didn't want to answer any questions as soon as the FBI got involved. As soon as the FBI got involved, you could almost say the same thing about the JFK assassination. I've been on a JFK kick lately, and I've been listening to a lot of interviews. And one of his interviews from September 1963, two months before he died, got shot and killed. He was answering questions. Even China was relevant back then. Even... Um, all of these issues that we're facing today, we were facing then, which said two things. It said two things to me. One, today's Democratic Party is not the party of Kennedy, that's for sure, not J.F. Kennedy. Maybe Ted Kennedy, but not J.F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy. And two, the government is not getting anything done. They're not fixing the problems. They're just kicking the can down the road, getting paid every step of the way. If you hired somebody to complete a job and you're paying them by the hour and they just keep on working and they never stop working, but you didn't think enough to get it in the contract that you know the job must be completed by a certain date, then you're going to have this perpetual payday revolving door of corruption. 
Yeah, so Biden and Putin are meeting right now, and I'm sure Putin's just licking his chops. G7 already got everything that they wanted. They got, they're not going to pay their NATO bill. We're going to pay a huge proportion of it, even though NATO saves them. Uh, and what do we have NATO for? What was NATO really for to begin with? It was to protect Europe against the aggressions of Russia. You know, the same Russia that would go into Crimea or Ukraine and think somehow they own everything. Well, that's all well and good, but NATO was then set up to the North Atlantic uh, um, Organization. Uh, I forget what the T stands for. But NATO was set up to protect against Russia. And guess what? They allow Russia's pipeline to feed the need, you know, feed Germany's need for fossil fuels. At the same time that Joe Biden is canceling Keystone Pipeline. But they love Biden over there because he lets them get off on the bill. The first thing that Trump did was he said, you're deadbeats. You're not paying your bills. And he treated them like a, a common person who's not getting the job done, not paying their fair share. It's one thing to be broke. It's one thing to be broke and then can't pay your bills. You lost your job. That's a whole different animal. But when you have a situation, and that situation is, when you have a situation and that situation is that you just bought this beautiful building that cost billions of dollars. I mean, I'm talking about the NATO building that Trump was talking about. Trump was like, wow, this is a really nice building we're standing in front of. And when you go inside, it's just an absolute monster of a building. Beautiful. Bill, billions of dollars. So, you know, you're, you're building all this lavish luxury with the red carpets and the big limousines. You know, I was watching Putin's limousine come up today. Wow, what a nice car. Can't afford that car. And then you see Biden's car come up. Wow, that's a nice car too. When did it get to be this pomp and circumstance? When did when did it get to be that the president rolls up like he's some sort of a boss in in royalty? The presidency is not a royal position. Does not need the fanciest plane or the fanciest car in town. What needs to be done can probably be done over a Zoom call. But okay, you want to meet him, that's fine. You want to go to the G7, that's fine. But why don't you go with America first at hand? Why don't you realize who you're playing for? But I promise you, there's something that's going on. And it started a couple of years back with the Canadian president, Trudeau, Justin Trudeau. I don't know if he's a prime minister or president, but Justin Trudeau said, you know, the one of the beautiful things about dictatorships and autocracy, well, at the time he said dictatorship, and I'll tell you something else here in a second. He said, at the time, you know, he said, dictatorships are, are, uh, are very uh, productive. They're not messy. You can get things done really quick. 
And that was interesting. And everybody was sort of talking about that, like, wow, he just threw a, a like a goat, like he just threw a tea leaf, like, or, or was it a sign, a symbol of where the socialists would like to take it? And it got me thinking a little bit about that. Not at the time, but now I'm thinking about it. Because I'm starting to hear another word. You know how like they changed global warming to climate change? Because they realized that the global warming wasn't selling too well. They couldn't prove their case. So they changed it to climate change. Now you can't touch them. They're like Teflon. It's sort of like, wow, I can't argue that climate changes. I just, I guess I could argue why it changes. It could be cyclical. It could be. Uh, made from uh, changing because of man's foot, footprint on earth. Or it could be um, cow flatulence. I, I don't even know. Could it be that our beef and, and our oil is causing all these problems? Ocasio-Cortez surely would say, yeah, that's the case. But is it really? Have we really had, you know, trust the science? And as... Uh, this great uh, exchange between Ted Cruz and the Sierra Club president at the time. This is about 10 years ago. He says, trust this, I trust this 97% of the scientists. This was 10 years ago. Trust the scientists was a, not a new thing even then. And you're like, yeah, but wasn't the, weren't the scientists all using the same flawed data? to come up with their results that were consistent 97% of the time, which means that 97% of the results are flawed if the data itself was flawed because the data and the, and the assessments that were put out there 20 years ago doesn't jive with, actu- with what actually happened over the past 20 years. And then Ted Cruz asks him, have you ever hear, heard of the pause, the 20-year pause in, in terms of climate uh, uh, temperature raise? And he wouldn't admit it. And he wouldn't, and he would tr- talk to his lawyers. I was uncanny. And then, and then they come up with this other one, this Russian hoax. And they say, and every liberal politician that we're supposed to trust with the vaccines, every liberal politician that's pushing COVID mandates down our throats with masks and gloves and social distancing and stay-at-home orders and shutting down of restaurants and now vaccine passports, those same people were also behind the Russian hoax. The same media bought into the Russian hoax. And they said, surely 17% of the all 17 agencies could not possibly be wrong. Then they realized, no, it's only three agencies, one headed up by Brennan, CIA, the other headed up by uh, Comey, the FBI, and James Clapper, the DNI. Those are pretty much the three biggies. Maybe he got the NSA, but Admiral Rogers, didn't, uh, who was heading that up at the time, didn't have any part of it. Didn't want any part of it. And so there it is right there for the world to see. And you say, wow, you know, they're lying to us. Why are they lying? And the answer is because it's not, you know, the liberals today are not part of the JFK wing of Democrats. 
Like I said, when, when I listened to JFK talking with Walter Cronkite in September 1963, I agreed with 100% of what... In fact, he sounded just like Donald Trump. You wonder where Trump got it. You wonder why Trump became good friends with John John Kennedy before he was shot, or before his plane went down. Uh, it Was his plane, you know, electrically shut down? I don't know, but his plane went down. And it certainly helped. Who Who was that? Hmm. Oh, Hillary Clinton. She got to win that Senate seat from Patrick Moynihan. That's it. He was dying of cancer. So she carpetbagged her way up from Arkansas. Little town called Hope. They left the White House with the China and everything. And they go up to New York and carpetbag their way north. And she seized that seat. The only person that would have beat her is John John Kennedy. And guess what? He ended up dead. And so then she paves her way on a mission to the White House, but then Obama showed up. And it was Obama that was probably a lot smarter than Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton was really kind of dumb. She was a Saul Alinsky disciple. She went to Wellesley College. She was kind of like a just an ignoramus. And she was drinking the Kool-Aid, and she was like this radical lefty, radical, radical left. And she would buy into this whole Saul Alinsky thing. In fact, Saul Alinsky and her would get into debates. They knew each other. They were friends. She idolized Saul Alinsky. And guess what? It turns out that Obama came from the same camp, was a big fan of Saul Alinsky. And so you look back and you say, wow, so the radicalism of America started with Obama because Hillary Clinton really didn't have the chops. You know, I wrote a piece, I wrote an article years ago, probably 2013-14, and I wrote it. It was a playoff of um, it was a playoff of Ray Charles' song "Born to Lose," and it was a great photo. It was a great article. I loved it. I lost it somewhere. I don't have it archived anywhere. But "Born to Lose" and it was a picture of Hillary Clinton. She never won a doggone thing in her life. I mean, she was fired from the Watergate Commission for being unethical. Um, she married into, you know, the basically the most corrupt governor in the, in the country at the time, and that was Bill Clinton, working with the folks out of Mena, Arkansas, and the Iran-Contra cocaine distribution channels. And Vince Foster ended up dead with no ex- real explanation, in my opinion. And they did the wag the dog thing by bombing these towers, uh, the, the, these uh, military sites, to change the subject uh, from Monica Lewinsky's stained dress to something else that could change the the media narrative. Probably the media narrative, the media begged them for it. Hey, you got to give us something where we can change our story so we can't hurt you so much. And why is it that Barack Hussein who we really don't know where he's from, right? I mean, was he born in Kenya? Was he born in Hawaii? No one really knows for sure. 
Was he Frank Marshall Davis's son? I don't know. I have suspicions about certain things about Barry, young Barry Sertoro and his what he learned in uh, Indonesia, you know, radical Islamic uh, hotspot, Indonesia. Pretty much an American hating Indonesia. But he grows up and he sort of befriends the guy that was the head of the uh, Weather Underground. And so I have to ask the question, why are all these, like why were the hippies the ones that were going against the police back in the 60s? Why was it that Weather Underground was looking at themselves like victims, even though they were spoiled college kids? And they were blowing up buildings like the Pentagon, and all these people are free. William Ayers helped write a book, uh, Obama's book. And William Ayers is a professor at Northwestern and Chicago University. Why is it that they get rewarded for all this stuff? Why is it that these universities hire numbnuts like Peter Strzok and and uh, Andy McCabe and all these people to lecture us on integrity? I mean, why do these people get these sweet deals on TV and with book deals that really are a way to pay people off? Or launder money, but paying people off is really the key to what is going on there. Why is it? It goes all the way back to at least the 60s, probably even further than that, but the Weather Underground was a terrorist group, and nobody really went to jail for that. And now we have Antifa and Black Lives Matter. They're all terrorist groups. They're all absolutely terrorists. Why is it that the radical left bows to China and caters to Iran? And gives money to the Palestinians. Why? That's rewarding violent behavior. That's rewarding groups that don't look at due process. Due process is this thing where both sides get equal playing time. Both sides, it's an even playing field where debate is honored and a discussion and an argument can be pursued. And the person that's found guilty or innocent or what have you has been well dissected. But that never happened with, uh, say, Donald Trump. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had this stupid Russian hoax going on for three and a half years plaguing his entire presidency. Or we wouldn't have had Alexander Vindman, you know, secretly uh, re-editing his footnotes for the call with Ukraine and trying to get Trump impeached and did successfully get him impeached. And if it wasn't for the fact that someone like Lindsey Graham was up for re-election that very year, there probably would have been an impeachment. But Lindsey Graham had to ride Trump's coattails, just like every other politician's doing right now, to try to win elections because they know what the, uh, that they need. The right needs the votes of the people. The left needs Dominion voting machines. The left doesn't even give two craps about who votes for them. The people voting left right now, their vote doesn't even count. 
It's the algorithm from the machine that has to beat the Republican voter, the patriot, the Trump supporter. That's really what it is. Have you ever heard of the little story called, um, well, there was a song, John Henry. Oh, John Henry told his captain, gonna beat that, you know, that song, right? Well, that song was based on this guy, John Henry, who could was the strongest guy, and he basically would hammer up and make train tracks. And they started getting these machines, and basically it was uh, what, something else that what uh, JFK talked about in his interview in September 1963 with Walter Cronkite. He talked about automation killing manufacturing jobs. Well, back in the industrial age, when machines started taking the, the place of manpower, this song that came out, it's a folk song, like folklore song, John Henry. And here he was, this strong man. Nobody could really beat him. But he was going against the machine. And I almost feel like the Republican voter, the Trump supporter, the Trump patriot that gets in their boats every weekend and waves the Trump flag and and gets in there, goes out to the rallies and goes to their school board and fights for their children to end this craziness of critical race theory and 1619 projects and tries to get the teachers' unions to stop indoctrinating their children. And so this grassroots effort fighting against an armed militia like the FBI or the Department of Justice and now even our Pentagon, it almost looks so daunting, doesn't it? That we are these patriots for America. All we want, all we ask for is a border. All we ask for is migration that's legal. We're not asking for uh, to end migra- migra- migrants coming to our country, which made America great. All we're asking for is to stop illegal migrants who are carrying diseases like COVID, carrying drugs, human smuggling, sex trafficking, and arms distribution across our border and killing our children or indoctrinating our children or, or, or getting in the way of our children's education by overcrowding our schools, getting away with our, uh, in the way of our justice by overcrowding our jails, getting away, getting in the way of our social welfare, welfare to help real people in need by consuming our resources that are always going to be finite. And so all we want is a secure border. All we want is a strong military to maintain peace. Not to use the military, but to make sure that we have one so that we're never tested. All we want are lower taxes and minimal regulation. That's all we want in life. We just want freedom to pray. 
We don't want to be told what to do, whether to wear a mask or take a vaccine. All we want is the freedom to educate our children, go to the church that we want, pray as we like. And all we want is to have uh, policies that think of us first. Because when we pay our taxes and we vote, the politicians in Washington are supposed to represent the people that elected them. And the people that elect them, I don't see on any ballot uh, list. I don't. When I go to a politician's website, I don't see like giving you know a billion dollars to the Palestinian Authority who blows little children up in pizzerias in Israel. I don't see endless conflict. We're going to engage in endless conflict in Syria. That's not what they're selling. That's not on their brochure. Why Lindsey Graham and John McCain were hobnobbing around during Trump's transition period with Poroshenko standing in front of the Ukrainian military on New Year's Eve, January uh, December 31st, 2016, during Trump's transition. And I know what it was. It was to get to finish up a black market weapons deal that was going to be mothballed and some people were going to be left holding some serious dough. Some investors were going to be screwed. And some of those investors, I think, was Amy Klobuchar's close friend and owner of the Minnesota Twins, a guy named Poles, or Poland. And so these investors invest in these black market deals, seed money to get the manufacturing moving, to put these weapons on the freight trains, distribute them to militias in need, and that's where the endless wars become a huge profit windfall for a lot of politicians. But all we want is just to keep things straight, to be properly represented. But we're not getting that. And we're getting now rigged elections. So, you know, it is the case that the Democrats have become like a terrorist organization. So the FBI insurrection is FBI's insurrection, not Trump's insurrection. When they start talking about the enemy of the people, these, uh, you know, enemy combatants, enemy terrorists in, the, in our country... They're trying to say it's white supremacists. I don't know of any white supremacists. I never, but I see Antifa all the time. I see Black Lives Matter all the time threatening Americans. There was like some two, 275 riots. And somehow they're, they're pinning the Capitol riot on the Republicans who are now still sitting in solitary confinement in jail. And for what? What did they do? Because who are the people that had the guns and the armed, uh, the armory? There's new video footage that's leaking out that shows these military people coming into the building, military-style people. None of those people were at the Trump rally, mind you. And the night before, they found pipe bombs hidden by a church. And none of that had anything to do with Trump. So where, where did all this come Washington, D.C. has got the most video uh, surveillance of any city in the world. 
and yet we still can't find out who the mur- killers of Seth Rich are. And, you know, just like we can't find out what happened to Jeffrey Epstein, uh, we can't find out about Seth Rich, but we also don't can't get to the bottom of who shot Ashley Babbitt and who planted those pipe bombs. Where did the truck go to? Where did it come from? We know the answers to these questions. Chris Ray knows, but he's not telling anybody. So the terrorists are like this. The green hackers targeting oil and beef. They are China and their bioweapons. They're Iran and their radical hatred and phobia of the left, of the West. I mean, of the West. They are radical Islamic jihadis that have a phobia of Western culture. It's not the other way around. It's not Western culture having a phobia of Islamic uh, Islam or Muslims. It's the other way around. It's the radical Islamists who are all liberal, by the way, that are looking at the West and with their phobias and their problems. So, you know, when you take a look at Antifa and Black Lives Matter or Weather Underground, they're all left-wing. They're all liberals. And I don't even call them Russian hackers anymore. I call them green hackers. Because all they actually seem to really uh, go after are, th- are items on the top of the Ocasio-Cortez Green New Deal hit list. They're going after oil and they're going after beef. Now the beef prices are through the roof. Beef is leaving the shelves. The supply chains of beef is, is going in a wrong direction. That might even impact your children's health. Who knows? But they don't care. Oil. The whole southern, uh, southeastern border uh, uh, region of our country was impacted. Isn't that Trump country? Florida, even Georgia. Trust me, it's Georgia's Trump country. Um, South Carolina, North Carolina. You know, all those states are Trump country. I would even say Virginia probably went overwhelmingly for Trump. We'll find out very, very soon, probably within a week or 10 days, about the AZ audit. They're on the uh, forensic counting right now, looking at folds and looking at all kinds of different anomalies. Uh, And uh, they're getting through it pretty, pretty doggone quick. So that's great. But what we're going to do today is we are going to um, tackle this FBI insurrection thing because Revolver put out a new story today. And it's, it's pretty doggone amazing, actually. And there's new video footage. And again, there's 14,000 video, uh, hours of video that have yet to be released. But the things that are getting leaked are really incredible. So we're going to take a listen to two different um, Tucker Carlson videos uh, here in a second. Um, Let's see. So, all right. So this is the uh, video that we're going to listen to. Okay, right, right here. Let's take a listen. My apologies. Got all kinds of things going on here. 
Biden administration preventing us from knowing. Basic. Really. And speaking of January 6th, why are there still so many things, basic factual matters that we don't understand about that day? Why is the Biden administration preventing us from knowing? Why is the administration still hiding more than 10,000 hours of surveillance tape from the U.S. Capitol on January 6th? What could possibly be the reason for that? Even as they call for more openness, we need to get to the bottom of it. They could release those tapes today, but they're not. Why? We ought to be asking those questions urgently, because as the Attorney General reminded us today, a lot depends on the answers. And at least one news organization is asking that, Revolver News. It's a new site. It's turned out to be one of the last honest outlets on the Internet. A new piece on Revolver.News suggests an answer to some of these questions. We know that the government is hiding the identity of many law enforcement officers who were present at the Capitol on January 6th, not just the one who killed Ashley Babbitt. According to the government's own court filings, those law enforcement officers participated in the riot, sometimes in violent ways. We know that because without fail, the government has thrown the book at most people who are present in the Capitol on January 6th. There was a nationwide dragnet to find them, and many of them are still in solitary confinement tonight. But strangely, some of the key people who participated on January 6th have not been charged. Look at the documents. The government calls those people unindicted co-conspirators. What does that mean? Well, it means that in potentially every single case, they were FBI operatives. Really? In the Capitol on January 6th. For example, one of those unindicted co-conspirators is someone government documents identify only as Person 2. According to those documents, Person 2 stayed in the same hotel room as a man called Thomas Caldwell, an insurrectionist, a man alleged to be a member of the group The Oath Keepers. Person 2 also, quote, stormed the barricades at the Capitol on January 6th alongside Thomas Caldwell. The government's indictments further indicate that Caldwell, who, by the way, is a 65-year-old man, this dangerous insurrectionist, was led to believe there would be a, quote, quick reaction force also participating on January 6th. That quick reaction force, Caldwell was told, would be led by someone called Person 3, who had a hotel room and an accomplice with him. But wait, here's the interesting thing. Person 2 and Person 3 were organizers of the riot. The government knows who they are, but the government has not charged them. Why is that? You know why. They were almost certainly working for the FBI. So FBI operatives were organizing the attack on the Capitol on January 6th, according to government documents. And those two are not alone. In all, Revolver News reported that there are, quote, upwards of 20 unindicted co-conspirators in the Oath Keeper indictments, all playing various roles in the conspiracy, who have not been charged for virtually the exact same activities, and in some cases, much, much more severe activities, as those named alongside them in the indictments. Huh? So it turns out that this white supremacist insurrection was, again, by the government's own admission in these documents, organized at least in part by government agents. Are you shocked? We're shocked. We shouldn't be shocked. Because in March, the FBI director admitted that the Bureau is infiltrating as many dissident groups that oppose the regime as it possibly can. There must be moments where you think if we would have known, uh, if we could have uh, infiltrated this group or found out what they were doing. And that, do you, do you have those moments? So anytime there's an attack, especially one that's this horrific, that strikes right at the heart of our system of government, right at the time the transfer of power is being discussed, 
you can be darn tootin' <laughs> that we are focused very, very hard on how can we get better sources, better information, better analysis, so that we can make sure that something like what happened on January 6th never happens again. But wait a second. There's a huge difference between using an informant to find out what a group you find threatening might do and paying people to help organize a violent action, which is what happened apparently, according to government documents, on January 6th. That's a line, and the FBI has crossed it. And it's not the first time they crossed that line in Michigan. Remember that plot to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer? We heard a lot about that, and Whitmer was able to cover some of her own incompetence, though not all, by pointing to the fact that she's now a victim. Now, in the FBI's telling of that plot, a whole team of insurrectionists was going to drive a van up to Gretchen Whitmer's vacation house and throw her in the back and drive away. The mastermind of this plot, according to the FBI, was a man called Adam Fox. Who was Adam Fox? Adam Fox turned out to be a homeless guy who was living in the basement of a vacuum repair shop. Quite a gorilla. The whole story was a farce. It was insulting, really, once you got to the details, which outlets like the AP didn't bother with in the first read. But if you read the government's charging documents carefully, and you should, you will see that it gets even more ridiculous. It turns out that one of the five people in the planned Gretchen Whitmer kidnap van was an FBI agent in the van. Another was an FBI informant. And the feds admitted in these documents that an informant or undercover agent was, quote, usually present in the group's meetings. In other words, using simple math, which we can do even on cable news, nearly half the gang of kidnappers were working for the FBI. Remember the guy who suggested using a bomb to blow up a bridge as part of that plot? That got a lot of coverage. That guy was an undercover FBI agent. Oh, okay. So if you're wondering why they're always comparing January 6th to 9-11, there's your answer. They're using the same tactics. And a lot of us missed this the first time around. And you are due an apology, and we're proffering it on television right now. We didn't see the obvious. If you empower the government to violate civil liberties in pursuit of a foreign terror organization, and there are foreign terror organizations, it's just a matter of time before ambitious politicians use those same mechanisms to suppress political dissent. And that's what we're seeing now. We should have seen it earlier. Trevor Aronson wrote a book on this called The Terror Factory, and it analyzed every terror prosecution from 2001 to 2013. Aronson found that at least 50 defendants were on trial because of behavior that the FBI had not only encouraged but enabled. FBI agents were essentially the plotters in these crimes. They made the crimes crimes. In 2012, a writer for The Nation called Petra Bartosiewicz found that FBI agents had, quote, crossed the line from merely observing potential criminal behavior, which, by the way, is allowed and good, to, and we're quoting, encouraging people and assisting people to participate in plots that are largely scripted by the FBI itself, end quote. And we checked, we looked carefully, and that's not an exaggeration. Wish it were. One of those plots was an Islamic terror attack in 2015 in Garland, Texas. It turns out that an FBI employee played an active role in that shooting. The FBI was much closer to the Garland attack than anyone realized. After the trial, you discovered that the government knew a lot more about the Garland attack than they had let on. That's right. 
Yeah. After the trial, we found out that they had had an undercover agent who had been texting with Simpson less than three weeks before the attack to him tear up Texas, which to me was an encouragement to Simpson. The man he's talking about was a special agent of the FBI, working undercover, posing as an Islamic radical. Man, so they're doing that to Islamic radicals. What are they doing to American citizens? That should really worry you. In a moment of uncharacteristic honesty, a former FBI assistant director called Frank Figaluzzi explained the other day on MSNBC, the goal is to round up people who dissent against the regime and throw them into solitary, and that's including members of Congress. Watch this. What have we learned from our experience with international terrorism? In order to address that problem, arresting low-level operatives is merely a speed bump, not a roadblock. In order to really tackle terrorism, and this time domestically, you've got to attack and dismantle the, the, the command and control element of a terrorist group. That may mean people sitting in Congress right now. Round up sitting members, duly democratically elected members of Congress because they oppose the regime? Even Vladimir Putin's not doing that. And there's a former assistant director of the FBI calling for it on television and no one noticed. So we're rounding people up. How about rounding up the FBI operatives that rioted on January 6th? Why not identify the guy who shot Ashley Babbitt to death? This is crazy and we should resist it. So I want to talk about this uh, a little bit more. Um, I want to get to the uh, interview with uh, with the uh, writer of. Uh, let's see. I think this is it. This is this is going to be the uh, who have not gone in the area to nope, identify only as person. It. Okay, I got it here though. Uh, what I want to do is I want to um, show you the uh, exchange between the guy from Revolver who wrote it. And uh, let's see, here it is. According to this, I have to say, remarkable piece that you've just put up late last night, read it in bed at midnight, that the FBI was organizing the riots of January 6th. Well, yes, it certainly suggests that possibility. And I'm hearing from people that this Darren is Beattie. the most important and the darkest investigative piece they've seen in years. But the American people deserve the truth about 1-6, not just for the sake of Ashley Babbitt, not just for the sake of the hundreds of people held in prison unjustly as a violation of human rights, but for the sake of the 70 plus million people who are Trump supporters or just against the corrupt ruling class who have effectively been labeled de facto domestic extremists by our own government. And I believe the key that unlocks the truth to 1-6 is the following question. To what extent were the main militia groups imputed to the 1-6 so-called capital siege to what extent was there infiltration of those groups by undercover agents or informants? And to what extent, when we see the unindicted co-conspirators who occupy senior positions in those groups, to what extent are those people being spared prosecution on account of a prior relationship with the federal government? Yeah. Those two questions create a thread. And when we pull that thread, the ugly truth of that event, and perhaps even the country we live in, will be exposed. That's big, folks. And that's, you know, that's really what's been going on, too. Uh, we've been seeing that with the two standards of justice. 
And we're seeing that with all kinds of corruption, whether it's our elections, whether it's our two standards of justice, uh, you name it. It's happening in America. Uh, And what it tells us is as we grow fatigued with all of this stuff, you got to ask the question, why? And the answer really, I think, is because the... uh, the left has grown impatient because they they were losing and they realized that they lost they they and all was lost when when america decided to elect trump despite all the election fraud that was trying to help hillary clinton win he was never supposed to be and so they saw that as a wake up call and i could play clip after clip of nancy pelosi saying he will never be reelected. Uh, like, like with this utmost confidence, and she's not that stupid. So what it was was, we'll, we'll, we'll figure out a way to get the military in here or take him out to, to make sure he does not get reelected because everything we worked for over the past 20 years is going to go down the tubes. And I believe that really did happen, that they decided to go militant, to go military. Now, it started with Obama, and Obama's a very militant, radical Islamic jihadi. And he's hasn't left Washington. He still lives in Washington. He bought a, you know, the, uh, to spit in the face of the climate change uh, issue, he buys a, a mil- millions of dollar place in uh, Martha's Vineyard, sea level. But other than that, you know, it's this. It's it's all the things that they're doing. Um, he's got people at the at the top of the board on Netflix and Lyft. These gig economies are being run and controlled by a lot of these globalists to accommodate refugees and and uh, illegal migrants to give them employment. Uh, to to it's almost like the uh, railroad, right? Uh, basically, he's he's got a whole uh, st- infrastructure that brings people in and guarantees their ballots will be pay, uh, voted for voted for Democrats. And they got the whole election rigging system in place. They got the whole apparatus in place, folks. And that's what they're so afraid of. They're afraid of getting busted. I will tell you the most important announcement that's going to be made in the coming future is AZ Audit. That's it. It's the, probably the most important thing that can happen in America in many, many years. Hey, we're at the end of the show. Be sure to check out magapack.org and buglecall.org. Check out the podcast over at scottadamshow.com. And we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody. Deeper, and grab a shovel, dig a hole a little deeper just to bury my kids right up to there.